0: Shanaaz Ghul was acquitted of the charge of killing Sayed Mustafa Hassan Zaidi in May 1972, over one and a half year after she was found in his apartment while
1: he lay dead. But what happened to the woman who was so famous? Did she ever talk about Mustafa Zaidi? Was she ever seen again? Did she ever mention what really happened? What happened to Shanaz Ghul? I'm Sabah Thiaz. And I'm Tuba Masood. And this is Notes on a Scandal, Season 2, The State vs. Shana's Gold. Welcome to the finale episode of this season of Notes on a Scandal, as well as of the podcast itself. It has been quite a journey to get here, Tuba.
0: Truly, Sabah, can you believe it's
1: been an entire year? Uh, I actually cannot. Until you said this, I really had no realisation that it has been a whole year. I know the episodes have come out and not a very continuous schedule. Tu and I have both gotten COVID in the meantime in this Mm -hmm. one year, separately from each other. And two different strains of COVID too. Well done. Indeed. But it has been, it's been just really interesting, I think, just to hear from other people who have been listening to this podcast. I was surprised people are listening to it. (laughs) Oh, yeah, I'm always surprised when somebody says they got all the way to the end. And I'm just like, okay, then let's get to our most burning question, which I guess everyone has asked is what happened to Shana's girl? And I think for us too, when we started this project in 2019, Mm -hmm. we also thought what happened to Shana's girl? And at that point, we really thought she was alive. Yeah, I think when we
0: started looking at the archives, I was like, Oh my God, I really want to meet this woman. Who is she? Where is she? I was very curious. But then, sadly, as we learned later...
1: She had passed away several years ago after a brief illness. And while no one seemed to be able to exactly recall what year it was, it really was quite sad that we never got to hear directly from her mm-hmm. and that she doesn't appear to have ever told her story in the years after this. Why do you think that is, Subha? Why do you think she never well, talked about it publicly?
0: I think she didn't talk about it publicly because would you really want to relive a painful part of your life? Going to jail, separate from your kids, being accused of murder. Those aren't things you really want to bring up in discussion like also how do you casually bring it up oh yeah by the way this one time i was like accused of murdering my boyfriend while i was married to my husband
1: it's a little difficult to bring up do you not think that if it was you for example mm-hmm. in 10 15 20 years you would want to talk to some reporter and say i want to clear my name if i feel like i was accused unfairly but i guess if you've been cleared by a court of law you already think you've been cleared right <laughs>
0: I think it's also the fact, about that she did make her way back into society. So she didn't really have anything to clear up as such. Like people did embrace her. So Sabah, what do we know about what happened to her once she was acquitted? So
1: it's 1972. She walks out of the court and mm-hmm. there is no case against her. The state tries to file an appeal in the high court and doesn't get anywhere with it. And obviously the country has changed so much in 1972, right? After the war... There's just a completely different environment and landscape. And obviously, the travails of Shanaz and Mustafar certainly, it was a distracting episode, but it's over now. And so, what happens to Shanaz goal is that might be surprising or might not be. Shanaz gets right back into Karachi society. How
0: does one do that? I think that to me has been a real, like a really big question mark. How does society embrace you back? Let society have a short memory, memory span. Or how could something like that just happen? I mean, everyone, the way they talked about her and like, The media really just tarnished her
1: reputation. Are we forgetting that Mustafa also called her the Christine Keeler of Karachi? People just forget everything? There's one thing that did people in her social circle ever really believe the allegations, right? Being accused of exchanging sexual favors for your husband is certainly not something that was not unheard of in Pakistani high society. And so that's not a crime. The treatment in the press was probably largely in the Urdu press, not the English press. And you can dismiss that as some kind of tabloid oscar nonsense. And I think what really also Tuba makes a big difference is who is doing the embracing, right? Mm -hmm, Firstly, Shanaz is not some high-flying socialite, right? She was not so powerful that there's like an automatic entry involved. I think a lot of this really depends on if she was seen with the right people again. And so it gives a signal to everyone that it's kosher to invite her now.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, like I think it's also important for us to remember that Shanaz was on the periphery of high society. She wasn't actually a part of high society itself. So if they have no issues and they are calling her back and they're still hanging out with her and inviting her to parties, like it's like a green light for everyone else that, you know, okay, she isn't a social pariah. We can hang out with her. We can see her socially.
1: Exactly. And if she's welcomed back into the homes of people who have influence and who kind of the women or men who make these kinds of decisions mm-hmm. for everyone, then why not? And also then... If you, for example, really believe Shanaz's version in which she didn't know what had happened, that Mm -hmm. she, having an affair was not a crime and so many people were already having affairs Mm -hmm. and she got caught and it was a horrific scandal and yes, but it wasn't of her own making, right? She's not the one who called in the cops and said, please come in and see Mm -hmm. what's happening in this apartment. If you believe really that Shanaz is, again, as you said, she spent all this time in, in prison, was away from her children, why not come back into society? I agree. So if she was welcomed back into society, it means that she was seen at parties all the time. Yes, she was.
0: That is what we've heard when we interviewed people. Several of them mentioned seeing her at parties, at dinners, lunches.
1: I have to ask you this. Yeah. And we've asked a lot of people this, which is why i want to ask you this as well. So let me just do a little introduction. Is that mm. We've asked people when they saw Shanaas, did they ever talk about what had happened, mm. right? Because obviously the only reason they knew Shanaas is because of, of the case and no one ever brought it up. Would you have brought it up? 100% yes. So wait, let's paint the scenario. You've gone to the house of, I don't know, X and Y for a dinner. Yeah. And it's like a sit down dinner or whatever, or drinks or something. And then you see this woman who you recognize from the paper. And somebody introduces you as this is Mrs. Salim. And what are you going to say? Oh, hi, are you the one who was accused of murder? I'm not that tactless. What would you have done? I would have
0: made my entire evening about her. I would have stuck with her. I mean, like, I would have been that annoying party guest. I would have been that annoying party guest. But I would have only done it for someone like Shanaz. Because I feel like there's no information about her. Nobody wants to talk about her. There's virtually nothing except for what we've read in the papers. And little tidbits people have shared with us. So for me, I'm extremely curious to know what she was like as a person. In my head, I know this sounds a little weird. But in my head, I have a certain idea of, or I've imagined, like, you know, what she sounds like. She's probably someone who sounds very sweet, has a very nice, calming voice and obviously to go with her amazing good looks. You know, her mannerisms are probably very gentle. So I have this image of this woman in my head. And if I ever saw her at a party, I'd be like, I want to know her. I want to know more about her.
1: Oh, so you would totally try to become like make confidences with her and somehow get to become her best friend. I would
0: try my best to be her best friend. For sure
1: but, but can't you imagine that people must have tried to pull this on her
0: I feel like at that time maybe not maybe not immediately after because I feel like society is also very hypocritical so I feel like while everyone knew what was going on with her who she was no one would have made a direct contact with her like that at a party maybe like hmm. they would have asked people about it later or discussed it when she's not around behind her back but I don't think anyone unless they were very I don't know' right. The word. Yeah, yeah, yeah that, that. I was going to go with gold, but yeah, I don't see a lot of people asking that. However, I do feel that maybe later in her life, maybe by the 90s or something like when it would have gotten old, but it's like, imagine if we, this had happened and we were like young people in the 90s, if we were in our 20s or 30s or 90s, if we'd met her, she would have still been curious to us, right? Because you would be like, oh, this case, we heard about it growing up. And now this woman is right in front of us. I would be curious to ask her and I'd be, I wouldn't obviously ask her if she killed Mustafa, but I would have want to know what it was like, how she felt about the coverage, what she's done after that. Like, I'd be very curious to know.
1: But I think also there's a sense of, as you said, like, why bring up something so painful? Mm-hmm. And if you already have gauged from a person who, you, as you're saying is, and this is what everyone has said, that she was really nice and that mm-hmm. she had really incredible mannerisms and she was very gracious and a mm-hmm. lovely host. And so then why would you spoil the mood by bringing something up that clearly is very painful? With no real benefit to you other than satisfying your curiosity
0: I think the case itself was quite important when you look at it in terms of the country's history Mm -hmm. like for example one of the things that really struck me when you were going through the archives was the fact that your country is literally at the brink of civil war you have this you know natural disaster that's happened yet she dominated the national pages national pages tabloids every she was everywhere like to me, that really sets a tone of what, how West Pakistan viewed what was going on in East Pakistan.
1: What oh, 100%. Think? And you can see, yeah, 100%. And you can see that's not the case in the East Pakistan. Mm-hmm. Even in the initial coverage, it's a very it's very limited, the kind of mm-hmm. stories that they run. Of course, we have not looked at every single English paper that came out in East Pakistan in the 1970s. But certainly, West Pakistan is completely dominated by Shahnaz, mm-hmm. right? At the expense of what's happening in East Pakistan, exactly. both with the coverage of the cyclone that happens, as well as with the election result and the civil war that ensues. And yeah, 100%, obviously, it's a completely misplaced sense of priorities, but also what the mentality. Was Right. Like they never thought it was, they never understood or they never wanted to understand what was happening in East Pakistan. So if you don't think that their demands are valid, or what is happening there is valid or even really happening, even now, what, 50 plus years later, people have such a sense of denial over what happened, like willfully, there's enough yeah. evidence Literally, like, displays of skulls in the museum in Dhaka to show you what happened. And if people are ready to deny all of that, then, of course, when you're going through it, you can easily say this mm-hmm. didn't happen. And so, of course, like, the political crisis happening in a part of your of the country, you've never really accepted as your own anyway, certainly has less mm-hmm. impact than the scandal happening in the house yeah. next door yeah. for some people, really. And that's true for all news coverage, too. But-
0: for sure. Like, I remember when I was in uh, university, a professor of mine said that you're going to care more about the person dying in your street rather than the 100 children who are going to be dead in Syria. And I completely understand where she came from and everything and what she was trying to say. But I do feel like, in this case, specifically, I feel like the whole thing about censorship became so much real to me. Because when they talk about censorship, everyone only focuses on, say the Ziya years, they be like, oh, there was this guy who would sit in the office, like, this can't go, this can't go, this can't go. But I feel like censorship actually has been there for so long. Whether it's censorship imposed by the government, whether it's self-censorship, it still exists. To this day, both of us have worked in newsrooms and it's there. But this case really
1: made me realize that, wow, I don't know if it's so much about censorship versus a complete denial and also this like, weird sense of West Pakistani nationalism, yeah, yeah. right? We talked about this in the last episode as well. I don't know that the Yaya regime is particularly censoring stories that are coming out in West Pakistani newspapers. They're essentially really towing the party line. You're right completely that censorship is often seen only in the light of the Zia regime, but certainly Bhutto was extremely critical yeah. of the press and often threatened them. And and so it's always been a hallmark of many regimes. It's always just been there. Um, yeah, exactly. So it's not just that Shaz- Shanaaz was seen art parties. I think what's really interesting is that so many people have sketched the scene out for us, right? Like they've walked into a dinner party and they saw mm-hmm. Shana suddenly there. And obviously this is a woman that they had heard so much about. And what's the one thing that they've always said about Shana's? She's beautiful. Like no
0: exactly. one is as beautiful. To me, like I think the most bizarre thing, the most bizarre Shana sighting, the two of the most bizarre Shana sightings was Shana's buying fruits in Gizri. Because I, for some reason, would never think of her as buying fruits in gizri like to me she's always just at a party or shana's walking on view, and someone mentioned her graceful ankles to me that was also bizarre because i was like how is anyone looking at her ankles and these are like two bizarre shana sightings that don't make sense to me but again the fact that people could spot her and they knew that it was her doing such mundane, normal life. And even then, you know, Like she was just so beautiful. She was just so beautiful. I think that is the one thing that has frustrated me the most. Because it's like, how
1: beautiful was this woman? As everyone says, almost perfect. Yeah. But what's really interesting to her also is that this idea of how Shanaz was beautiful, especially in the later years of mm-hmm. her life, is very different when you ask men and when you ask oh, yeah men, The reaction from women is always oh, yeah, she still looked as beautiful, right? Like they could easily Mm -hmm. tell this was the same woman who had been the source of obsession for so many years. But men, I think, have a very different idea, right? Yeah, I
0: think what struck me when we spoke to some men about who'd seen her in her later years, they were like, you know, you could tell that she was pretty, but she wasn't that anymore. Like, you know, she wasn't aging gracefully. She didn't look that good, which I thought was really strange. And also just made me think that, huh, okay, now that she's getting on in the years, you don't think she's as beautiful anymore. Uh, but their view of her kind of changed, and I feel like I don't know. I may be wrong, but I feel like it was also just how society or men operate. Young women are always more beautiful. I don't know,
1: maybe. It's not just that too, but I think like men had this image of Shanaaz as being the most beautiful woman they'd ever seen or heard of, and that, and then they couldn't accept the fact that she was growing getting old. Go, yeah, I mean, God forbid that happens to anybody. Exactly. So I think there's that. So there were like multiple Shana sightings over the years. Of mm. course, at dinner parties, Shana still was still a part of society and not just high society in that like rich, ball-going mm. gala kind of way, but also obviously a dinner party person who, who went to events with her husband. And then at Sea View, so Karachi's public beach where a lot of people go for a walk in the evenings, where apparently lots of people saw Shana's.
0: I think honestly that to me was the weirdest because I was just like, What? What is Shana's doing at Sea View? Why not? Why wouldn't you go for a I was food? just comparing
1: it to Seaview right now. Oil spills, whale carcasses. I don't know. So why? I've lived closer to Seaview maybe, and I think people go. There are always there people in there. the morning.
0: Yeah, yeah, there are always yeah. people there. It's always crowded. But again, like to me, like you know, if it's not a party, why is she not there?
1: Oh right, so you can only imagine her as that. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. it's also like a product of people we've spoken to. Right, a lot of people we have spoken to really new channels as somebody they only saw socially, mm-hmm. but the people who knew Shana in like a home context. have told different stories, right? Yeah. Like of what she was like at home, how she behaved with her children, clothes she wore at mm-hmm. home.
0: How and, she hosted.
1: And that's like, exactly. And that's like a very different version yeah. of Shana than this like glamorous person yeah. with a beehive and this like great eye makeup at parties. So yeah, after I guess years and years of Shana sightings, she passed away in kind of obscurity, I guess. For somebody who had occupied yeah. Pakistan's imagination for so long, she seems to have passed away without but did you find an obituary notice for her I actually tried
0: really hard to find an obituary notice for her but I didn't we also asked several people if they remembered when she passed away and I feel like memory is also memory is so treacherous like you might think it happened last year but it could have happened 10 years ago and I think that's one of the problems that we faced with a lot of people that we spoke to for them it was like five years ago for us it was really much 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 earlier so we don't have an exact date yeah. for when she died. If anyone knows when she did pass away, please share it with us.
1: What we do know is after she passed away, there was a a prayer service that was attended by her children. But beyond that, mm-hmm. it doesn't seem like there was any kind of public public awareness of when this event actually happened. No, and, I don't think so. Um, it's interesting to me. I don't think a lot of people have even remembered like talking about her funeral. But again, that has to do with the fact that all her contemporaries are also now at that age where memory is again, concept, not yeah. reality. Or they're dead. Yeah. And so it's really weird and sad, not about that. It is. That's it like is. she passed away without anyone hearing her side of events. I feel
0: like she became a minor character in the story of her own life. When I think about... What happened to her, the fact that no one remembered her. And like, also the fact that there was no obituary written about her. Not just an obituary notice, but I feel like someone who had captured the country's imagination for two years. Like, there was nothing to mark her death.
1: And that makes me really sad. Not just that, someone who is like still being compared. Anytime there's like a political scandal in Pakistan that involves a woman, everyone always says, oh, this is like Shana's girl, Mm -hmm. as if she's like Mm -hmm. shorthand almost. Like the same way that Monica Lewinsky is cited. And yet for somebody who, yeah, you're right, like there's just nothing known about her. And I think Mm -hmm. people are also really eager to believe the same stereotypes of her. Interviewing a lot of men, particularly about the story, has been... It's been really interesting because I think as the years have gone by, their version of her has become even more and more entrenched. They can't see her as anything beyond some cold-blooded sex worker, really. Yeah. Which has no, no connection to reality. And you see this every year when Mustafa Zedi's death anniversary happens. We get tons of these like forwarded messages that people send around about Mustafa's poetry, et cetera, And it always includes the same version of events, which is a bit strange. Or you get these like reactions people asking why would you talk mm-hmm. about what happened?
0: That question really frustrates me to no end because I feel like there's so many reasons to actually cover a story like this, not just because it was an important part of the country's history, but also because even if you look at Mustafa, Mustafa was more than just his poetry. You can't just focus on one aspect of someone's life and ignore the rest. Like his poetry to me is just as important as all the other things that he did and You you can't separate the two. Like, you can't deny that Mustafa did have an affair with her, that he probably did do all those things that she said and that we've covered. Like, it's not an alien came and, you know, took over Mustafa's body and that's the person who did all these things and Mustafa didn't.
1: Yeah, I guess this idea of this eccentric, this eccentric bohemian artist has really yeah. lived on in the minds of people where it's easy to excuse. It's not about affairs, I think. It's about the other stuff that I think people find is easy to excuse in the name of, oh, he was just like, he loved love where he was obsessed. Yeah, like this something. whole
0: thing about poetic license. He had the poetic license yes. to do this. And it's actually, no, he didn't have the poetic license to do revenge porn on his girlfriend. Mm-hmm.
1: I think what's people contain multitudes, right? And you can't reduce either Mustafa or Shara's Down to the events of that night. Of course, of course. And I would hope that what we've tried to do here with the podcast is to to look at all of these events with all of our very skeptical versions of the story (laughs) and also all of the evidence and looking at all the coverage again. Yeah,
0: I think that was one of the things that we were so interested in ourselves that I think we really did try to bring that through in our podcast. And I really hope that we got the message across.
1: In the last few weeks, we have asked people to send us questions and comments and general thoughts and vibes about the podcast. uh And we're so thankful to all of you who did respond. We're going to take some questions now. Here's one, which is, why is our podcast in English and not in Urdu? And this is, I think, a question we've gotten quite a lot. Mm -hmm. Duba, did you ever think about doing this in Urdu?
0: I actually did not because I've worked primarily in English. So I feel like for me, the natural language to do a podcast in would
1: be English. While we would have, I think, loved to do it in Urdu, I think English was just easier. I know this is it's too large a stereotype really, but mm-hmm. I think the audience that consumes a lot of Urdu literature content is already aware of Mr. Fazedi's yeah. story. Whereas I think the English-speaking diaspora, whatever, have never really, don't really speak or read or do a crowd. I'm going to throw in a bunch of stereotypes here. have not heard of the story, right? And so I think, For us also, it's introducing it to an audience that that initially we thought had very little understanding of the story. And that's true, but I think we've seen like a merger between Mm -hmm. the two audiences in some ways, right? That People who are familiar with the story have come to the podcast or people who weren't familiar with the story have found other things really interesting.
0: What I found really interesting is that it's like we've gotten responses from people who are like our grandparents' age, but also our age and younger. So I like how we've been able to get a little bit of everyone from different age groups. Uh, yeah, so, I discovered
1: that my, my grandmother actually, I have to say I should have started researching this episode at home versus uh, doing it yes, in the typical have. way. Indeed. Well, you guys, really- ask your grandparents questions.
0: Someone else asked if you know anything about gold. I think we've already answered that question. He also said that there should be a movie or season on
1: this case. Netflix okay. and Prime. Call us Netflix. Hi, we're um, here. Another person. Do you think this case can be reopened? So, but do you know Pakistan has a statute of limitations?
0: I actually do not know that, but I feel like it would be difficult to get this case reopened anyway, since one is the main accused is dead. I feel like it's also like just the way, like how the documents, the evidence, everything is probably not there. So I think it would be difficult to do it on the basis of that as well.
1: Yes, exactly. So while I don't know the question about whether Pakistan has a statute of limitations. What I do think should happen, and I very much hope that does someday, is that we need to make archives more accessible. Mm-hmm. Pakistan does have a law which requires documents to be turned over to the archives, to the national archives, but it's extremely difficult to access them in Islamabad. at least from my experience from a few years ago. I don't know if it's changed. The condition that archives are in public libraries is deplorable in some places like our much better in it's but it's much better in places like Lahore but the Punjab Public Library, I had to say, is the most miraculous place that I've ever been to where people are helpful and you can get records digitized and there is an incredible wealth of material available. But I think the real problem is in the legal system, right? And mm-hmm. it's I mean, we reached out to both the High Court and the Supreme Court multiple times to ask for records. So many the, handwritten letters, Saba. No, typed up <laughs> letters that were sent by like can courier to the registrar please and I wish it's not like we're a politician was the luxury <laughs> of just scribbling off a note on a post-it and sending it to them but I think what was extremely disheartening or and really I think bizarre was that we requested a copy of the court file from the Supreme Court where Shahnaz had filed a case against the surmotive decision taken by the Sindhai court, which is a landmark judgment but we were told that we would not be able to get access to the file and this was my favourite comment from the guy Supreme Court's Karachi Registry which was that even if Shanaz herself was like requesting this file she wouldn't get which, like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs>
0: yeah, that was a, it was the day we learned so much about
1: our system. Yeah, and to me, that's extremely bizarre. Yeah. If you're demonstrating a real and clear need for a public record, why would you not be allowed to get access mm-hmm. to it? It's, to me, it's completely strange. And then also, to about people who are like sitting on archives in their own homes. What the hell are they doing? Just don't want to share,
0: Sabah. They just don't want to share. And I think that is another thing that that we came across, and it was just like, why?
1: Do they want to be buried with them
0: probably
1: I have like various levels of language which which language I speak it like and also I'm going to say this my pet peeve is people who post archives with more like Sense of what date this was in and where it was from, and like where the next is, and like price. Like, it's literally the page is the date is printed on there. Here's a delightful theory it's that this person doesn't think that Shana's killed Mustafa, but that she was going to break it off. But he was too into her and the idea of them being in love, and that Mustafa decided to kill himself and try to take Shana's down with him because of her lack of faithfulness. Hmm. We've gone into this many times, right? Yes,
0: Abba, we uh, have. And while you feel that this could be it, for me, it's not.
1: I mean, you know what I believe. Yeah, I just feel like it doesn't fit. I'm sorry, I'm going to go into conspiracy theory again.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But I think the one thing that I find really strange about both these stories is that the amount of planning you would have to do to know what amount of drugs to take mm-hmm. to be found alive or dead or to kill another person or to knock another person out mm-hmm. is really now in, in the age of the internet, sure, this information exists, unfortunately. But it's... It's really bizarre to me that you would be able to do this. You'd have to call a pharmacist, essentially, or just guesstimate. it could all go horribly wrong. So if the idea that Shannaz did it and knocked herself out with sleeping pills, how could she guarantee she was going to wake up at a certain point? What if she woke up at five in the morning and then just sat there for four hours waiting for the cops to knock on the door?
0: Like, okay, for me, it uh, it goes both ways, right? If Shannaz did it, like, how would she have known? But then if Mustafa killed himself and wanted to, like, get her to pass out for a couple of hours... How would he know? I feel like it is kind of like a guesstimate because honestly, there's no other way of doing. Both of them weren't pharmacists. And unless they like really went the extra mile to plot this, going to a pharmacy or talking to a pharmacist, which we don't know. uh, And I'm sure they did not. But yeah, to me, it it is a guesstimate. And it I think goes both ways. Like those are two holes in both yeah.
1: As one person has observed that either one of them could not have known when they would be discovered. And yes, yeah. the idea of timing, the drug seems redundant. hundred percent agree with you. Yeah. yeah. Oh, another person suspicion that there was a third party hired by Shanaz's husband to murder Mustafa, whose overt activities were becoming too socially problematic. And then this way, Shanaz also gets framed as, and this is his revenge. So ooh, very dual, like, I love this the like, <laughs> dual thing. So Salim, first hires somebody to kill Mustafa. Because, and then gets his life socially problematic stuff out of the way because he's threatening to expose society mm. or whatever. And then also gets like revenge on Chanaz who's for sleeping with Safa. Love it. Excellent for a Bollywood movie. Excellent. It's just like <laughs> I, Salim is not capable of this, right?
0: I feel like what we know of Salim, like, it is, it's just not him. I feel like if there was a third person hired, Salim and Shanaz were probably working together. Um, and that's what they would have done. I don't think, like the fact that Salim stayed the Shanaz after the whole thing, and he was quite supportive of her during the trial as well. So I just don't, I just don't think he did it. It sure. would be a
1: great cover, right? Meek-mannered sure. husband for sure does
0: all of them. I mean, again, like in a, in a crime th- horror thriller movie, for sure this would have happened. Um. Then there's someone else who also has a theory which says... For what it's worth, I think Shanaaz was the killer. Uh, while Saba thinks that I made a fake account to post- send this question, uh, this theory to us, uh, it is not. Uh...
1: And yeah, it's, it's what I think happened. To be fair, I'm not so much against your theory as much as I'm bizarrely like surprised at how quickly you swung to this <laughs> Like you, you spent two and a half years <laughs> saying it wasn't 10 hours. And then in one evening, you switched <laughs> over. And frankly, it's a bit cold-blooded of you. And I've only forgotten this, this seems dramatic. I have my yeah, you switched so <laughs> quickly, Tuba. All right. Thank you, everyone, for these questions. And I think also over the last year, people have sent us often on really nice messages and questions and comments on Instagram and Twitter and on WhatsApp to our private numbers. And... All of that has been really wonderful. It has been a three-year odyssey to get this, to get (sighs) all of this material. Three long years. Yeah, and a whole pandemic and Mm -hmm. multiple sicknesses. So the whole case of Mustafa and Shahnaz is two years, and yet it could take us decades to really explore what happened. In 1972, the case of the state versus Shahnaz will finally came to a close, but in our imagination, it hasn't. Over the past 50
0: years, rumors and suspicions have continued to cloud what happened to Mustafa Zaidi. And while we may never know for sure, we hope we've been able to present more information and look at this case in the light of new interviews and reflections, and examining how the press reported on
1: the case. This was Notes on a Scandal, Season 2, The State vs. Shalala I'm Sabah Mithias. And I'm Tuba Masood. We have a lot of people to thank. Firstly, Anvir Heather, who was, I have to say, a miraculous godsend, who gave us the quote files. And I'd also like to thank Bukar Hussain for pointing Tanvir our way. It was it was an incredible help and I can't still believe this happened.
0: I'd also like to thank uh, Minam Malik who voiced the headlines that you've heard in various trailers.
1: As well as Bilal Tanvir who voiced one of the poems and Shima Akhirmani as well as Zaheer Alam Kidwai for giving us access to a recording of the Mustafa recital. We'd also like to thank our guests on this season. Dr. Swamaya Zaidi, Sarah Malkani, and Dr. Soha Vaseem. We'd also like to thank Dr. Amir Jafri and the Center of Biomedical Ethics and Culture at SIUT who invited us to speak about our project. I think we had the most fascinating discussion. It was really interesting to be it's, able to present all of this material. It was really fun. It would have been much funner if I had been there in person. <laughs> it was True.
0: fun. We'd also like to thank the Center of Excellence in Journalism at
1: the IBA where we recorded our first season. Um, I'd also like to thank Maria Maru for her advice throughout this podcast and suggestions for the various episodes. Uh, thank you so much and lastly it's been a journey and an honor and thank you Saba. thank you it is happening
0: same feels uh, and I'm so glad I actually went on this journey with you because I feel like we worked together really well uh, despite Indeed. all the ghost hauntings <laughs> and murder um, theories and conspiracy that we've come up with and driven each other crazy with as well there's no one I'd go to a spooky graveyard with Saba, but you
1: Literally, I was about to say this. Jones. <laughs> I was about to say there's no one else. I'd rather go to an abandoned graveyard with Dana Tuba. All right. From all of us at No Scandal, thank you very much for listening. And you can follow us on Instagram still at Murder Mystery70 and on our personal handles. I'm Sabaim Thails. Sorry, I'm Tabahi Tuba on Twitter and Instagram. Thank you.